It is good to be back with you again, and once again, I extend greetings to you on behalf of Church Creek. I'm going to pick back up with Psalms 114 and 115 that we began to look at last week. If you are following along in the Pew Bible, I believe you'll find this on page 510. Uh, both psalms. We're going to read them back to back. So hear now the word of our Lord. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the stake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have given these words to us as your people to draw us back once again into the realities of your life and love, to draw us back into those eternal, incomprehensible realities that the union and communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been opened up and that you are drawing many from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be a part of your eternal presence and to participate 
in the ineternality of your power to participate in your love that is steadfast and that is true. We ask, Lord, that you draw us back into that as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you go home today, I encourage you to look at your order of service because if you have been paying attention, and sometimes it's hard to when you're right in the midst, if you've been paying attention as we have moved through the different elements of the service, what we have actually been doing is recounting the story of God and who we are as his people. We have not merely been working through, here's a truth about God, or here's a truth about us. What we have been doing is working through the story of what makes all of that meaningful for us as God's people. Because what is meaningful for us as God's people is not simply that there are these truths, but that God is doing something in and through that truth in and through us. The meaning is not just in the truth. It is the way the truth is used by the Lord to form and to shape us as his people. And that's what we looked at last time that I was here as we looked at that powerful reality that is communicated in this psalm that you become what you worship. There is a formative power in worship. That worship, as it is an experience of who God is, and as it is an experience of what God is doing, it is an experience that doesn't just leave us to ourselves, but it is forming us, and it is shaping us. And when you and I, when we worship the wrong thing, it has a negative effect. It robs us of the power and vitality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not about salvation. This is about sanctification. And as you and as I are striving to be the people of God, especially in this new cultural context in which we find ourselves, you and I live in the midst of two competing stories. There is the story of the world, the story that we talked about last time, a story that is encapsulated here even by the nations as they mockingly say to us, where is your God? And as I said last time, we are tempted to become shaped by that concern that we can develop our own doubts and that we can develop our own insecurities about following Jesus Christ in this new world. You become what you worship. Now, what does the power of story and the formative power of worship have to do with one another? Well, this entire group of psalms, as I mentioned last time, moving from Psalms 113 through 118, 
are part of what we call the Hallel Psalms, or these are psalms of praise. And I also mentioned that they are often referred to as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Because the praise that the people of God are being called to experience and to embody as God's people is a praise that is grounded in the story of redemption. A story of redemption in which the people of God were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves to a foreign power. They were slaves, by the way, because of the way the ancient Near World, the ancient Eastern World worked. They were slaves, they were considered slaves to the Egyptian gods. In the store redemption, though, what God is revealing is that he is more powerful. And his purposes are all defining for his people. And so these psalms are used in the worship, in the history of the church, as a way of drawing the community of faith back into this story. Not just calling us to remember the right systematic theology, even though that's very important. Not just simply to draw us back into having some kind of positive experience in worship, even though that's very important. But to draw us back again into this power of the story of what God is doing. Because it is through worship that we are formed and shaped in our faith for following him. In 1954, C.S. Lewis had the opportunity to write a written review of one of his good friend's novels. It was the first story in the trilogy that we refer to as the Lord of the Rings. And in his review, Lewis talks about the power of story. And he talks about the power of the way Tolkien unfolds his story. And he says the value of the story is that it takes all the things that we know and it restores them to the rich significance that has been hidden by a veil of familiarity. How many times this past week did you envision yourself as a former slave who has been freed? How many times did you also think of yourself as if you were still enslaved? As someone who has done a lot of pastoral counseling, what I can tell you is this. One of the common denominators in counseling for a pastor is me trying to help you realize that you're not still enslaved, even though that's how you feel. See, that's a competing story. You go through these issues of life, and we get very easily defined 
by these everyday experiences, the things that we experience day after day after day. And we tend to be formed and shaped by them. And if we're not careful, we can start to interact with God, ourselves, and the world as if we are not participants in the gospel. And the result is, as you and I struggle with ongoing sin, we can become tempted to define ourselves by that sin. And the story of how you view yourself becomes this story of, man, I'm just never going to get over this. How many times do I have to confess this sin to God again? Doesn't he get tired of hearing that confession? I know that when my child comes to me and once again they're saying, sorry that I did X, Y, or Z, I know that I get tempted to say, well, at what point is your confession going to lead to some change? But that's not how God responds. Because that's not God's mission as his mission is unfolded to us here in Psalms 114 and 15, and as the way that mission is recounted over and over and over every time the church of Jesus Christ gets together and worships him around his word and his sacraments. You have a veil of familiarity that you wrestle with on a daily basis that gets in the way of you understanding truly who you are in Jesus Christ. Here in Psalm 114, we are given two very powerful images right up front about who we are as the people of God. And they are powerful images that are not merely about embracing, you know, the reality of what's there simply by acknowledgement but what Lewis calls the need for a storied intellect the need to practice the utilization of imagination when it comes to us interacting with God in his word because God has chosen to reveal himself through these amazing word pictures that are part of the unfolding story of who he is, what he wants, therefore what he is accomplishing, and where we fit. And right out of the gate here in Psalms 114, notice as we look, he says very clearly that when Israel went out from Egypt, so notice even right now, Things are being framed for us in terms of the story of redemption of the people of God being redeemed from bondage and slavery in Egypt. When Israel went out, when God redeemed you, notice, he made you his sanctuary. It doesn't say that he invited you to his sanctuary. He made you his sanctuary. What it means to be a part of the people of God is that God has chosen to reside in the midst of his people as that special place where his presence within 
within history is found. And that what it means for you and me to be part of the people of God is that we, together as a community, are the temple presence of God. We are this temple of the Lord. Not just that we get to go to the temple, not just that we can worship at the temple. Beloved, you and I are the temple. Notice, secondly, he made us his dominion. He made us his kingdom. He made us the place of his habitation and his rule on earth. Now, just stop for half a second and try to engage the imagination of your faith that this is what defines who we are as God's people. That when we think of temple, when we read through the Old Testament, we tend to think of a building. We tend to think of this one little special place. And what we lose sight of is that the temple, for example, in the Old Testament, that it was just a type and shadow pointing us to the real future reality of God and his people. In Revelation 22, or 21 and 22, as we, we have the future unfolded for us, what we are told there is that when the new heavens and the new earth come into existence, and when we are residing within that place, what we are told is that there, there is no building that's present there because we are the temple. That what all of what God is doing is that he is creating a temple presence where he will dwell in his unmediated glory forevermore. And that process has begun. That process has begun when God started calling his people out of slavery and into being his temple presence and his dominion within this world. Use your imagination for half a second. What does it mean for us to be his dominion? To be that place where his rule and where his reign is present. Should the church be characterized by the values of the world in which the church is living? Or is the church to be characterized by the realities of the God of the heavenly places who has made us his residents? There's a lot of talk right now within the, the new ways in which the culture wars are being unfolded. And once again, the church is being tempted to participate in something that is actually good, but being tempted to participate in a way that doesn't actually reflect who we are. 
If there is any place within this world where there should be justice that can be seen and where justice can be experienced, it is to be within the church. But the methods by which we go about that justice need to be reflective of who God is and what he is doing and not merely reflective of what's going on in our current cultural context. You are the temple of God. You are the dominion of God. This is what the New Testament means when Peter, for example, tells us that we are a royal priesthood. This is what it means for us to be a nation of priests. That we have this unique calling of being drawn into what God is doing so that we can experience it and so that we can embody that to this watching world that is so tempted to chase after the idols of their own creation. You are the temple. You are his dominion. And as the story is unfolded here in Psalm 114, this has earth-shaking results. The story is told from the period of being redeemed out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to covering the wilderness wandering to then entering into the promised land. And every step along the way, God is with his people. And every step along the way, God's presence leads to the provisions for God's people. And every step along the way, the power of God's presence is exercised for his people. Because God is on a mission to make a people for himself and to lead that people out of bondage and slavery into an eternal rest with him. Now, it's not too difficult for us to see that this story of redemption for us as we reflect upon what God is doing here has been summed up for us in Jesus Christ. God who came to us in the flesh, God who entered our predicament, just as he entered with his people into their slavery in Exodus, he has entered with us into our, uh, our struggle and our strain as those made in flesh. And he has gone even to the depths of experiencing death for us on the cross. God binding himself to us in our experience in order to bind us to him in his experience. So that when Jesus was raised from the dead and when Jesus was ascended back to the right hand of the Father, Paul tells us that in Christ we have received all the blessings of the spiritual places and that in Jesus Christ we have been made alive, raised up, and seated with him in the heavenly places. In other words, you are his temple and you are his dominion. He has taken up residence with you. 
What this tells us, beloved, is that God is on a mission of bringing glory to his name, Psalm 115.1. He is on a mission of drawing glory to his name by saving for himself a people of his own possession. Beloved, that's what you are. You are his treasured possession. And the special calling that we have as his people is to join in with God in his mission of bringing glory to his great name. As we, as the people of God, engage in worship and as we, as the people of God, engage in witness. And the two work off of one another. What is it that God is ultimately doing in his mission? He's creating worshipers. What do we see in Revelation 7? There are worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Well, how does he get worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation? Well, he goes on mission. And he goes on that mission through his temple presence and through his rule on earth, the church. And so worship has the formative power of creating worshipers which draws worshipers into the mission of God of participating and helping to make more worshipers. And how do we do that as we engage in worship? And so rather than being formed and shaped by those idols of our own making that only take away from us that power of participation participation in Christ. When we engage in that idol worship, what we do is we engage in a story that's contradictory to who we really are. And it can become confusing and it can become distracting and it takes away from us the reality that in Jesus Christ, I am part of God's mission. And that mission is in creating a community of faith, a community of worshipers. There's a reason that Redeemer uses this phrase of that we are on mission together. Because the together part is not just with one another in the pews. God is the chief missionary that is seeking to bring glory to his name by doing incredible things in this world, in drawing sinners out of their sin and drawing them into the perfection of his love. That God is doing amazing, earth-shattering things in order to put on to display and to give people a real taste of his eternal love as that is worked out in his people seeking and reflecting justice in this world. We are, as God's people, on mission together because it's what we are. And so worship here It tells us 
that every time we work through this recounting of redemption, which began with that call to worship, calling us out of the world, calling us to himself in this special way on this special day, sanctifying us as his people in hearing our sins through the ears of mercy and grace and proclaiming that we are safe with him even though we have been sinning. As we are recounting this story, what is being unfolded for you is that you are no longer a slave. But that requires the imagination of faith. And so where is your imagination this morning? Secondly, the psalm, or these two psalms together, reveal a very, very powerful reality for us. God has redeemed us and freed us and made us his people, his temple, and his dominion because. His desire is to bless. How many times did you think about God that way this last week? That in your interactions with God as his people this week, God has been drawing you to himself so that you would desire him, that you would want him, that your heart would be attached to the goodness and to the beauty of who he is and what he offers to those. As we are told by the writer of Hebrews that if we are going to follow after Jesus Christ, we must believe that God exists and that he what? Rewards those who seek him. The Lord is doing these things not to create a new set of, of little slaves that, that exist as robots just going about the, the world doing what he says. He is doing all of this to redirect those desires of our hearts that he put into us when he created us that got twisted by sin. He, he is doing the work of making it so that we can once again set those desires on him. If you set your desires on the idols of this world, what you are setting your desires on are something that cannot uh, do what they say. They cannot provide what they promise. But when you set your faith on God, when you embrace that identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. We are told over and over and over that when we trust in the Lord, he is our help, he is our shield. Why is it, as we talked about last time, why is it that it feels like as the culture mores change underneath our feet and it feels like things are breaking 
and collapsing. Why is it that that can be scary? Well, because it is revealing that your hope is not in the help and protection of the Lord. The Lord provides us his provision. The Lord provides us his protection. There is nothing that an idol can offer you that will help you to grow more and more into who you are as the temple of God. And there is nothing an idol can provide you that will help you grow more and more into the kingdom of God. There is only one thing, and that is God himself. And what he reveals here is that he desires to fulfill that for you. And so you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your help. He is your shield. And in this coming week, as you wrestle with the ongoing sin in your own life, as you wrestle with the ongoing doubts that all of us wrestle and struggle with, me included, and as we go through this week and we wrestle with what does it really mean for us to be on mission together as a community of faith, what God is calling us to do is to recount the story that we heard here today. Not just in the reading and preaching of his word, but what was unfolded from the beginning to the end of this entire liturgy. Take your order of service home with you. And work through it every day this week. It's a challenge. Give it a shot. But take your order of service home. Work through it every day this week. And let the story that is unfolded in the, in the liturgy be the dominating story that is telling you who you are. As you look to God to bless because the Lord has remembered us, and he will bless. May the Lord indeed give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Beloved, praise the Lord. Set your heart on him. And do so through the recounting of this story of who you are as God's people, and watch as the powerful presence, provision, and protection of our Lord leads you into a greater sanctification, into a greater holiness that is not the result of just keeping a new set of rules, but as you see your hearts set themselves more and more on God on his mission and participating in that mission together as God's community of faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are competing stories all around. Powerful stories that are trying to grab our emotions, trying to grab our wills, trying to grab our minds trying to squeeze us into something else. And so, Lord, we pray and ask you as your people 
that when we are tempted to ask ourselves, where is our God? That we can respond with the assurance of what you have revealed about yourself and that superior story that has come to completion in Jesus Christ. That our God is in the heavens and that you accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. Lord, you tell us that you want to bring glory to your name. So reform the loves of our hearts that we also would love to bring glory to your name. You have told us that it is your heart's desire to make a people for your special dwelling. And so reform our hearts to see ourselves and to long to be that special dwelling. Lord, you have revealed to us that you desire to, to have your justice and your kingdom rule made manifest on earth. Reform the desires of our hearts that we too would long to see that in us as we strive to reflect that to this watching world. And so, Lord, bless us. Bless the ministry. Bless the worship. Bless the discipleship that everything in working together would reinforce your mission, our participation, and the final eternal reality that you're going to shake this world up again. And that is going to introduce to us an eternal kingdom that can never be shaken. Father, grant us the courage to go forth as your church. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.